0: For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. We're finally arriving here into the station on the book of Romans, into this section uh, starting with Romans 12. We're calling a life lived with God. The the, the idea here is that um, God wants to live through us in a powerful way. The thought flow through the book here, you know, chapters 12 through 15 now are kind of a new section where we're going to be focusing on this concept of spiritual transformation. That God wants to live with us and through us in a way that has an impact on our lives, but it also has a great impact on the lives of the people around us. And Paul wants to finish out this great book of Romans by giving us practical steps on how to live a life for God. Now, the argument up to this point has been uh, through these different sections, and we've covered a lot of different ground. Most recently, we were in chapters 10 and 11, 9, 10, and 11, that we're talking about uh, the sovereignty of God in the context of does God keep his promises. Because if you want to live your life for God, if you want to trust and you want to live a life of radical faith... You have to be able to trust. You have to be able to believe that God is good and that he keeps these promises. And Paul has been exploring that question uh, through a very intimate and personal example for him, which was God's promise to the people of Israel. That Paul as a Hebrew is, is intimately concerned and involved. So God promised Abraham to bless all nations through the descendants of Abraham. Does God keep his promises? if I commit my life to God, if I decide I'm going to live for God, I'm going to make real choices in my life that matter, I'm going to take risks where if God doesn't come through, it's going to hurt my life. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to consider first, is God trustworthy? Is he good? And is he powerful enough to come through? And then what is it that he promises he will come through? What are the promises of God that apply to me? And so he's been working that through, and now he's going to get into, if you've decided that God is good and that he is powerful and that he is trustworthy, here are the steps, here are the ways that you can, you can let God move through you into the lives of other people. We finished the section last week by talking about the fact that religion is not enough. Ritual and religion the outward appearance of godliness and holiness, the observance of rules, that is not what the God of the Bible is about. That he's not about just outward observance, but he's ultimately about the heart. Your creator wants your heart, according to the scriptures. He wants to be right there, close to you, intimately involved in your life. And that man has taken the idea of religion and ritual and twisted it and changed it into something very different from what God intended. In Romans 10, he says, they have zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. That, you know, we have these religious uh, motivations and these outward religious acts, but God's question is, where is your heart? I created you for a relationship. At the end of Romans 10, he says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? There's so many people in the world today that think God loves ritual, and he loves religion, and what he loves is outward obedience. They don't know the truth that the God of the Bible wants your heart. And who is going to set the record straight? Who is going to go out proactively and fight against this idea that God is a grumpy old man who just wants you to obey and show and demonstrate that God is the God of love and that as people suffer in darkness and ignorance about the true God of the Bible, who will go and show them, not just in words, but in action and in deed? Show them that the God of the Bible is the God of love. God says that's what he wants us to do. That's what he wants all of his followers to do. Is go out and set the record straight to represent him to a world that's been deceived about who he is. He calls on his followers to represent him to those who don't know him. And frankly, that's terrifying. It should be terrifying when you consider how do I represent God to people who don't know him I'm deeply flawed right we should all come to that realization of God (laughs) why do you want me to be your ambassador right I am not very well suited for that I'm just as screwed up as everyone else I don't look around my neighborhood and think yep I'm the one that's got it together right I look around and I say, man, you know, life is hard. I don't know that uh, I'm this shining beacon of God's love. Uh, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling to keep my life together. I'm struggling as a parent. I'm struggling as a student. I'm, I want to live my life for God, and I wish that I were worthy. I wish that I had something truly to display of the goodness of God but I feel like I need the grace of God and the mercy of God just to get out of bed in the morning. God, why do you want to use me? Who am I to say what God wants? What if I get it wrong? Okay, so what if I step out there and I decide I will be used by God? And I say, to, you know, I re- try to represent him, and then I say the wrong things. I misrepresent God. There's a lot of really smart people out there who really hate the Bible. What if they have questions I can't answer? What if I'm called to the mat in a way that I know where I can't perform? I'm terrified that I might actually push people away. I mean, that is something that you and I should truly and honestly wrestle with as we consider this idea that God wants to send us out into the world as his representatives. We cannot do it. And we turn to Romans 12, and he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. God says, oh, you think, you think I just want you to go out there and, and represent me. No, no, don't misunderstand. that's a misunderstanding. What I want you to do is to make yourself available to me. And I will bring my power and my spirit and my truth. And I will work through you. I don't really want to show them you. I want to work through you to show them me. And it's okay. The fact that you're sitting there saying, God, I'm screwed up. God, I don't know that I can do it. God, I don't know that I've got anything to offer. God says, that's really, those are all prerequisite, right? That's exactly what I'm looking for is someone who realizes those truths and then turns to me and says, but if you will work through me, Lord, my answer is yes. And he says, oh, that's awesome. That's, that's what you were made for. You were made to tell me yes. And I was made to show you love. I am here. My whole purpose of what I am, at the very root and heart of who I am, God says, is love. And I want to bring that love through you into the lives of other people. Don't go and show them your love. Go and be a conduit for my love. And this statement right here is a big part. It's packed Full of truths that we have to understand, we must understand if we are to do this well. He says, therefore. And that's so important. You know, Jeff Gordon, my friend Jeff Gordon, used to say all the time, you know, when you see something like this, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Right? I took a class from him for years and he would say that over and over and you'd just be like, oh, come on, Gordy, I get it, right? What's the therefore, therefore? But it's such an important question when you see something like that, right? He's saying, whatever it is that I'm about to say depends on all these other things that I've said. So he's not just saying, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your lives as a living sacrifice for me. He's saying, because, because of what? well, I think that this particular therefore is one of the biggest therefores in all of Scripture, right? Because he's moving along in his argument, and I think what he's saying, the therefore is really, therefore, because of Romans 1 through 11, right? What he's saying is, is because God has come into your life, because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins while you were yet enemies, shaking your fists at God. He came into your life, and he showed you love, and he forgave your sins. Because he doesn't just look at you as his servants, but because he's adopted you as his children. Because he says to you that you are my family, I am your father and you are my child because he's given you his Holy Spirit and he's begun a new life in you and because he's pledged to never leave you or forsake you, that he's promised you that nothing could separate you from the love of God, neither heights nor depths nor principalities nor any other created thing. Because he's told you there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of that, it's what he's saying. Don't go and present yourself as a living sacrifice without understanding why. Why should you do that? Because you are so loved. Because of all those things, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Give your whole self to God. Why? Because he is worthy of you, of your whole self. And giving your whole self to God means following God as a way of life, not putting God in a box where you have your work life and your home life and your spiritual life, and they're all very separated, and never the twain shall meet. Where you come on Sunday morning and that's spiritual you. And you go to home church on a certain night of the week and that's spiritual you. But you go to work and that's work you. God says, I want, I want to be at work with you. I want to be in the meetings. I want to be on the phone with you. I want to be in your parenting. I want to be in your marriage. I want to be in your life. I want your whole life life. And if you let me do that, it'll be a better life. You'll be a better worker. You'll be a better mom, a better dad, a better husband, a better wife, a better neighbor, because you were made to need me. And so don't block me out into these sections of your life, but bring me in. Breathe in deeply the power of my spirit into your life and let it permeate every aspect of who you are. Because he is the most important thing. He is the secret to your personal fulfillment, but he is also true. He's true. But notice the order of events. He doesn't say, Bring me into your whole life, make me the center of your life, and make me the most important thing in your life, and then I'll love you. That's not what he does. He says, therefore, because of all this other stuff that God has done, because he's already done it, I urge you then to present yourselves as living sacrifices. And notice the word here. It's not command. It's not, therefore, I demand that you make me the center of your life. God could certainly do that. Creator of the universe, Alpha and Omega, speaks stuff into existence, right? He could certainly demand that. But instead, he goes and he dies on the cross. He demonstrates his love. He offers his grace to us freely. And then he says, now because of that, think about the opportunity. Think about, let me persuade you He says, to live your whole life for me. Live your life for God. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that when I consider that God has called me out into the world, that God wants to use me as a light into the darkness, that I'm supposed to be this representative of his, that we've got this whole world that lives in darkness that's been deceived by the enemies of God into the wrong picture of who he is, and God wants me to go out and be the counterexample? It means that the way that I do that is I come to him and I say, here I am, Lord, here, broken, no better than anyone else, with lots of problems, but willing to say yes, willing to let you work through me to help others. It's presenting yourself to God in the belief that he is worthy, trusting that he keeps his promises, knowing that he is good, and knowing that you are not good enough. That is it. That is what God can and will use. And he says, this is your spiritual service of worship. When the Bible talks about worship, this is what it's talking about. You know, notice I I was talking about our singing that we do. We don't call that worship. Why is that? Well, singing is a form of worship, but it's one form. We don't call it a worship meeting because worship is living your whole life for God. And we don't want to confuse anybody and think that when you go and you sing, that that's living your whole life for God, that you're fulfilling what the Bible says is worship. Just by singing. You're fulfilling a part of what God says we should do to to glorify him and to praise him, yes. But to glorify God and to praise God, to worship God is to live your whole life for him. That is what we were meant to do. Worship God as a living sacrifice. That's a loaded word. Worship, isn't it? You know, we're kind of taught in our culture that worshiping is kind of gross. You know, in the secular world, whatever you worship, the idea of worship really is akin to going too far with something. Right? That's what you say when somebody's too into their girlfriend, he's like, Oh, he worships her. Ugh. Oh, it's so gross, right? Or we go to a worship service. It's an overzealous belief. Worship is going too far. I think it would be fair to say that our culture would say the only thing that you should worship is you. Oh, yeah. That felt good to say. The only thing you should worship is you. And it's like, yeah, I should live my life for me. That's what I've been telling myself this whole time. It turns out it's true. That's, I'm comfortable using that. I'm comfortable using worship there, but anywhere else, that word, worship, that, that overzealousness, that that overboard, it, it conjures, you know, pictures of really extreme caricatures. You know, Temple of Doom, right? That whole thing where there he rips out the heart. I love when my kids. I showed my kids that movie when they're like nine and seven. Yeah. <laughs> And they were watching that, you know, and he's, Khalifa, you know. And for years now, I've been chasing him around the house yelling, Khalifa. <laughs> right? It's this terrifying picture of this is just too far, right? It's too much. Worship. Live your whole life as a spiritual sacrifice of worship. Well, we all know what religious extremism has brought And history is wrought with people that have taken their religious sensibilities too far. It's not cool to be overzealous. It's much better if you put God in a box. And yes, you know, good people will be spiritual. They'll have a spiritual component to their lives. But keep it reasonable, people. Don't go overboard with the Jesus thing. You don't want people to think you're weird, right? We don't do that. We're very conservative people. We don't go out and and make fools of ourselves, right, for the things that we love. We don't do that. We are very careful to be respectable, right? We want to present ourselves as people that are sane, that have their lives together. We don't just go and 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 risk people thinking that we're crazy for the things no matter how much you love something don't let people think you're crazy about it right it gets the heart pumping Look at the worship that's happening. Oh. Right? I mean, some of you, your blood is pumping right now, right? <laughs> O-H. O-H. You're all worshipers. <laughs> Do you see how we will make fools of ourselves for the things that we're passionate about. Look at this man. Look at his face. (laughs) I love this picture. Look at all their faces. And look at the score, 33-2. I wonder one day, you know, 2,000 years from now, archaeologists will be, you know, excavating the shoe, right? And they'll be like, oh, there was a mighty ritual that took place here you know. This was a place of worship, you know, and they'll be uncovering a string of buckeye necklaces, you know, and they're like, these poison nuts were used to ward off these beasts called wolverines. (laughs) They almost took them over during the reign of high priest John Cooper, but the Trestle dynasty finally declared victory. Right? Like what will they think of us when they don't when people who don't know us look back and try to reconstruct what our culture is about? What will they conclude is so important to us? That what will they conclude had the most meaning in our culture? They'll look at our biggest buildings. They'll look at how we spent most of our time and money and energy. And they'll say those were the things that were that these people were zealous about. If they were to reconstruct your life specifically, what would they conclude from the archeological evidence available that you are zealous about? What would they conclude that you live your whole life for? What do you worship? It's such an important question because it can put things into the perspective that we need. Look at these people. (laughs) This man should not be in public with his shirt off. (laughs) But he loves the Buckeyes. He doesn't care what we think. He loves, he is willing to humiliate himself because of what he loves. Paul's point is, is that what God has done for you is so much more amazing than that. It's so much more important. It's so much more real. And it can make so much more of a difference in your life and in the life of everybody that you know. Will you live your whole life for him as a worshiper of Jesus Christ? Because, therefore, of all that he is and all that he has done and because he is worthy... We sometimes refer to this as the second decision. We're not saying that you have to worship, you have to live your whole life for God if you want him to accept you. No. We're saying you should live, we urge you to live your whole life with God because he has accepted you. Do you see the difference and how important it is? There are two major decisions that God is concerned with in Scripture. The first is, will you invite God into your life? Will you allow God to bring his love and his light? Will you allow Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for your sin? A one-time decision to be cleansed forever for the penalty of your sin. That's the one-time decision. But the second decision is a daily decision. It's a moment-by-moment, ongoing decision as a saved child of God whose sins have been forgiven forever. Am I willing to use my life to worship God? Will I be used by Him to represent Him to those who don't know Him? In an ongoing, moment-by-moment way, when I wake up in the morning, I will be presented with Hundreds, if not thousands, of choices every day. Will I choose the choice that brings the most glory to God because He is worthy? That's the second decision. Paul describes it this way in verse 2 Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like everybody else. Don't go with the flow. Don't do what comes easy. Don't do what comes natural. But stand out. Stand out. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed, be transformed. How does God want you to stand out? How does God want to make you a freak? How does he want to change you so that when people look at you, they're like, there is something that is just different about you? It ain't religion. That's not how he wants you to stand out. He doesn't want you to stand out by your clean living, by the way that you dress, by the music that you listen to, by all the things that you don't do. That's not how he wants you to stand out. Let's look at Jesus' example. How did Jesus stand out in his culture? He said in John 17, 14 to 21, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world. Don't remove them, but keep them from the evil one, keep them from your enemy. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them which means set them apart. That's really what we're talking about is if we're going to be worshipers of God, we should be set apart. We should be distinct. How does he ask God to set us apart? In truth. Let them stand out by having truth. That's how he wants us to stand out. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I set myself apart that they themselves may be set apart in truth. I'm going and I'm going to die and take their sins upon myself so that they can be set apart and be representatives of your truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning the people that were around him in his day as he was praying, but for those who believe in me through their word, you and I, not just the disciples, not just the 12, but all those who would come to faith after them because of their willingness to set themselves apart by the truth. I ask because also those who believe in me through their word that they may be one even as you father as you father are in me and i in you that we could be set apart by our relationships with each other by the love that we have for one another and the love that we have for god that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me let the way that we love one another Let the way that we love those who don't know God, let the truth of the word of God be what makes us set apart. Being in the world, being in the midst of all these people who don't know, who don't believe, who don't live for the same things, who are worshiping self, let's go out in the midst of that and worship God and love them and love one another. That's what Jesus did. He wore normal clothes. And you're like, no, he didn't. He had like weird robes. That's what everybody wore in Jesus's day, <laughs> right? He wore exactly what everyone else wore. He ate the same food that everyone else ate. He listened to the same music that everyone else listened to. He drank the same wine, and he went to parties filled with sinful people. He didn't wall off the ugliness of the human experience. He embraced it while not succumbing to it. He did it so much, he earned a bad reputation. Luke nineteen seven. He it says that when the Pharisees saw what Jesus were doing, they began to grumble, saying he's gone to be with the guests of a man who is a sinner. This Jesus, they would say, is not a moral man. Look at the company he keeps. Look at the people he spends time with. He's not set apart as a holy man. A holy man would know how sinful these people are and want nothing to do with them. Jesus would answer them in Luke seven thirty four through 35 and say, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. What a great, oh, what does it mean? He says, Well, let's look at your way of life and see what fruit you bear. And let's look at my way of life and see what fruit I bear. What comes about by living your self-righteous way? What comes about by keeping the sinners out of your life? By blocking out the broken people of the world? What comes of that? Nothing. But I go and I get in with the sinners and the drunkards and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And I love them. And what happens? Their lives change. Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Look at how I live my life, Jesus said, and look at the fruit of my life. And then we will see who is wise and who is a fool. Mark 2, 16 through 17, the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors and they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. How am I going to help people who are hurting, who are dying, who are destroying their lives in darkness, who are living in ignorance and don't understand the folly of their ways? How am I going to help them if I'm not near them? If I'm not with them, if I'm not in their lives? You think you're righteous. Well, I didn't come for you. I came for those who know they are not righteous but they don't know there's hope for them. That's who I came for. What Jesus did was fought against the self-righteous and the religious. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside you are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You can't wall off the ugliness of the human experience. You can't protect yourselves or your children from the darkness of this world. Not without losing your light. Not without losing the opportunity to go and be a doctor to the sick. Not and live your life as a sacrifice to him. Worshiping him by letting him work through you into the lives of those who don't know you. Jesus surrounded himself with people who weren't living God's way, and he spoke the truth in love. They felt loved by him. Look at John eight ten through 11. The woman caught in adultery, a serious moral failing. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And he said, I do not contend- condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. What you're doing is bad. Stop doing that. But know that you are loved and that you are forgiven. And it's that love and it's that forgiveness that will give you the power to change. The love and the forgiveness comes before the change. We're called to be in the world. It means getting into the human mess. It means getting right in there. And I know I know what it's like. You look and you see the craziness of what's going on in people's lives. You look at work and you see how much of a train wreck people's lives are. Their marriages destroyed. Their children in rebellion. Their families broken. And you say, there's too much. What can one person do? If I go in there and I weigh in with this person, I know that I am just opening my entire life up to drama. And I feel like I'm barely hanging on. I can barely control what's going on in my life. How, what do I have to offer someone else? And God's like, me? You have me. And really, they don't need you. They need me. But I have chosen to work through you. Can you bring me into their life? Oh, but that's scary. They're going to think I'm some kind of freak. They're going to think that I'm some kind of zealot, some kind of worshiper, some kind of Jesus freak. And so they will. And so you should be. Because why not? What do we humiliate ourselves for? The world is offering all kinds of things. You want to sacrifice your life on the altar of money? Well, the world will just applaud that. You go and live your life, destroy your family, work 70, 80 hours a week, and tell yourself the whole time you're doing it because you love them, and then see what happens to your relationships with them. You want to go and live your life for acceptance from other people, for comfort? Then live your life for comfort and be radical in your comfort and be alone because you cannot be comfortable and have people in your life. People are chaos, wrapped in darkness. That <laughs> is what we are. If you want to be comfortable, you have to eliminate the chaos. And God says, I want you to go right into the middle of the chaos. You see that tornado living next to you? That mess of a life, that life needs my love. It needs my light. And you're gonna have to go in because I planted you here. I moved that neighbor next to you so that you could get involved in that mess. That's the truth. We can't keep messed up people away We have to invite them into our life. That is what we need. That is worshiping God. Worship. Living your life as a spiritual sacrifice of worship is letting them into your life because you are connected with the source of life. What they really need. Give them the truth and give them love and risk, risk the consequences. He says, do not be conformed to to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Meaning, prove here in the sense of demonstrate. Don't be like the rest of the world. Let God transform you so that you can demonstrate what the will of God is. What is the will of God? Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That God would come and rescue us from our rebellion. And I say, well, you know, <laughs> Jesus is a world-renowned figure for a reason. I mean, he made, has made such an impact on history. Because he was an exceptional person. He was an exceptional being. I'm not Jesus. I can't do what Jesus did. Jesus' answer is yes, you can. Because I am with you. You can't do it on your own. But I can do it through you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your thoughts dwell on the thoughts of God. Let God's truth break in past the entertainment, past the stress and the problems of the day, past the injustices that you've been dealt, past your frustrations, your anxieties, and your worries. Let Jesus break through all of that and speak to you through his word and let your mind be transformed. God can turn you and use you like Jesus. And he will do it through you, but you've got to get involved. You've got to get off the bench and into the game. And there's lots of ways to do that. We think home churches are a great way to do that. Because we think, you know, we come together here, and this is really nice. This is fun, and it's nice nice to see lots of people and be reminded that, you know, God is at work in all these people's lives. And it's fun, you know, to watch me get up here and yell and scream every week. That's fun, right? Right? But it's so easy to keep this in a compartment, right? And to just let this be a small part of your life. Which is why we're about home churches. We believe we should do community together. We, we meet together and we spend time together and we get into each other's lives. And we have groups that meet all over the city where people are trying, not perfectly, but we are trying to get into each other's lives and create a place that we can invite people to where they can find the body of Christ in action, that they can experience community. Personal discipleship, one-on-one hanging out with people where we talk and we study and we pray and we try to advance, we try to 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 steep our minds in the word of God. And let it transform us together so that we can lift one another up and move forward. Serve in the community. Get outside of your box. Get outside of your home group. Get outside of your Christian group of friends. And serve alongside somebody who doesn't know God doing something that matters in the community so that you can come in contact with and meet people. Don't build walls around your life to where you don't have contact with people who don't know the Lord. Take some classes. We offer classes on Saturday morning and Wednesday night here to help you get equipped. Take intro to the Bible, which will teach you how to read the Bible. Take Christian growth, which will teach you how to study the word, will teach you how to serve, will teach you what the Bible says about praying, about community, and how to feed your spiritual life. Because you are saved, because God has forgiven you, because you have the love of God in your life, there are things that you can do to let the light of God grow and shine more brightly in your life. And it's by letting your mind and your thoughts be transformed by God's truth that that happens serve. Get involved. Get involved in a substance abuse ministry where you can help somebody who's really struggling. Get involved in a hospice ministry where you can give the gospel to people as they die. Get involved in a retirement home. Get involved in all the different kinds of ministries. We have all kinds of teams of people that are trying to be there for people that are struggling in specific ways without the Lord and help to bring the light of God and the love of God to shine into their lives and find ways to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God because of all the things that he has done. Stick with us through Romans 12. We're going to be talking about this more and more in depth. We've got a long way to go. We're going to be in Romans 12 for a while because it's so it's so powerful and remember the two decisions have you made the first that one time decision John 1 12 but as many as received them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name let God's light into your life make that decision open the door and invite God in and then set about creating a life orienting your life to make the second decision which is that daily decision that moment by moment decision to live God's way now some of you are here and you're saying you know what I made that first decision long ago and that second decision I've made it a lot I may not have made it recently I feel like you know the cares of the world will come in and but you know I was living that second life that second choice And I was making those daily decisions and I wound up where I am because it just really wasn't that exciting. I'm a believer and I'm here and I'm committed and I come to this stuff, but I just don't feel the zeal in my life. I don't know, I don't know that I'm willing to look ridiculous for the God of the Bible anymore. And you know, the question I would have for you is, what have you risked for God lately? What have you put on the line? When was the last time your heart was in your throat because you were about to do something that God called on you to do that you knew was crazy? That you knew somebody would look at you if you made that decision and just say, you're weird. How long has it been? For some of you, it's been a very long time since you've taken any real spiritual risks. And you wonder why your spiritual life is dry. You wonder why you don't have that same sense of purpose and excitement that you had before. What are you offering to put up on the altar? What is your spiritual sacrifice of worship in your life? What consequence, what true consequence have you faced? You're like, oh, well, I have missed three episodes of my favorite show. (laughs) Let me tell you, those are consequences. I'm talking about real, you put yourself and your dreams and your hopes in harm's way because of God's truth. Something that would truly scare you. And then think about the other side of that question. What have you risked for your career? What have you risked for your comfort? What have you put on the line and rolled the dice and created that lump in your throat and knew I am risking so much here, but it's worth it because of the reward? For many of us, we have a lot of risks in that area and very few recent risks in the spiritual area. And we wonder why our spiritual life is dry. Live your life for God. You have the opportunity, because of all that he has done, to offer your whole self as a living sacrifice. And that is the life. That is the life that God wants for you. That is the life that the Spirit of God is calling out from within you and calling on you to take those chances, talk to that neighbor, take that stand, get involved in that mess. And let the people in who don't know God and you will find your risk level going up considerably. When was the last time you took a great risk in order to protect your sense of self-importance? See, when we do that and when we have a long string of things, I, I, I take risks to protect my reputation. I take risks to protect my retirement, to protect my position, to protect my power, to protect my comfort. I take risks for all of those things because my spiritual sacrifice of worship is to worship self. And if all we have are lists of ways that we've protected ourselves, we have to come to grips with, it's time, child of God, sons and daughters, through the death of Jesus Christ, it's time to worship him in a way that is worthy, which is with our whole lives. Next time, we're going to talk more about community and how we can work together as a community to demonstrate God's love in, uh, in our culture.